everyone. It's the Baseball America College Podcast. We've got a roundtable again here on a Monday. I'm John, along with Jim Schoner, Mike Lanana, Teddy Cahill. We're brought to you by SeatGeek for this podcast and all Baseball America podcasts. I'll talk to you a little bit more about SeatGeek later on in the show. And guys, let's just jump right in. First things first, uh, we're going to talk a lot about our top 25 rankings. Is it just, uh, are we taking this almost for granted that Florida's 21-1? and I mean, this is a pretty great start, guys. And I know that we had very high expectations for Florida. They were our clear preseason number one. That said, I think that we thought that Louisville was not that far off from Florida. Louisville's lost two series. I know Texas a and played well. Oregon State's played well. We were chalking the first three. But Florida's 21-1, and one, and they've played some pretty good teams, guys. I mean, Teddy, you can start off. I mean, has Florida even exceeded your expectations a bit to this point? Um, I don't know about it. I guess they have, because uh, 21-1 and one is loud with that schedule. Um, you know, Miami, going to Miami is not easy, as Louisville found out this weekend. And, you know, Florida went down there, and um, I don't want to say they blew the Canes away, but, you know, that was a, that was a pretty handy handily won series for for the Gators and it's everything is just going Florida's way right now they, they've got they've got the pitching you know Logan Shore has been great on Friday nights and AJ uh, Puck was at his best this weekend right that was the best we've seen Puck and, and Alex Vito on, on Sundays has has been as good or better than the other two um so that that's a great start and then the bullpen is outstanding and they're winning their midweeks and they beat Florida State six to nothing. Uh, it you know on on Tuesday this week. Uh, you know it, it's just it's been great for Florida. And uh, you know if if there were a spot ahead of number one, they'd probably be in it because I mean they re- <laughs> they really have been very impressive, like you said. I like what you did there. You, you worked in their old Twitter. It's great, UF. Uh, unknowingly, <laughs> just subliminally, it's gotten into you because it has been great. Um, it was definitely a great sign, a strong sign for the Gators. That puck pitched so well, and then A and M and Oregon State guys. I don't. I feel like we don't talk about the teams that don't move in the rankings very often. But A and M obviously uh, started uh, SEC play very well. Oregon State has anything stood out about these teams to you at all, Mike or Jim? I'll, I'll ask you, Jim Schoenard. Um Anything stand out to you about A and M or Oregon State that surprised you, or have they been again pretty much uh, steady as she goes for you this, so far this year? I'd say it's been pretty steady. I mean, obviously Oregon State's uh, the way their starting pitching was this weekend was probably the story. I mean, they, you know, all three of those guys that uh, were great, you know, uh, Rasmussen and and um, you know, all three of those, you know, they dominated Arizona State, a team that had been playing pretty well, and um, so that was pretty impressive. Also, we know about their their talent on offense with Logan Ice and those guys, but uh, yeah, I mean, they've been pretty steady. A uh, and M, kind of a little. So they had that big emotional win against Texas on uh, what was it right. Tuesday with a bit Michael Barish hitting the walk off home run, but I mean that's you know you kind of love, they didn't pitch great over the weekend, but it was on the road against Auburn, so it's you know we'll see how they bounce back. And also they get LSU this week, which is a in, interesting uh, interesting series coming up. Yeah, both those teams started conference play, Mike, and uh, all three of those teams. That's supposed to be when things get a little bit harder. It didn't happen really yet, necessarily, I guess, for, for those three teams. I mean, A&M was challenged. Yeah. Um, but uh, that, that was a strong week, I thought, for the Aggies, actually. 
Yeah, no, but and I was impressed by Auburn, though, with the way that they played them. I mean, all, all three of those games were close. I mean, Auburn had a chance to win the Sunday game, had a chance to win the series there. You know, I think they've been impressive so far, and it goes to show you how deep the SEC is. Again, uh, you know, that you have a team like that. I mean, we have I think we have nine SEC teams ranked in our in our poll right now. And it's a little crazy. It's a little crazy, but it's justified if you look at all these teams and what they've done so far. So, you know, I kind of take away from that series that I was that I was impressed by Auburn. But yeah, of course, I mean Texas A and M. Um, you know, it says something about A and M that we're impressed by Auburn and how much they scored, right. how many runs they scored, and you know A and M's had some injury issues in their weekend rotation, and they go three and one. They win a rivalry game, and they win their opening series in conference play. Ho hum, they're just number two. I, again, I I feel like we take those the teams that are sailing along for granted sometimes. So. Right. Um, but that, that we'll stick on the SEC tip real quick and pivot to, to Teddy. You were in Columbia this weekend. That's one of the, what is it, nine SEC teams? You saw two of them. Nine that are ranked. One of the new ones this week is uh, South Carolina. Jumping into the rankings at 18, correct me if I'm wrong, I, I would characterize our skepticism level for the Gamecocks as fairly high coming into this weekend considering – the one time that we saw them play a competitive team this this year so far, prior to this weekend, had been Clemson. They'd lost that series. Otherwise, it had been pretty much a cakewalk schedule. So really the biggest test of the year for the Gamecocks other than Clemson. And uh, they passed. And it sounds like not only did they win on the games, Teddy. I mean, even Chad Holbrook talked to you about it um, in today's uh, Off the Bat. There's some swagger that goes with being a Gamecock. I guess you have to have swagger to be a rooster. Um, <laughs> but it seems like that swagger, they feel like their swagger's back a little bit. Is it well-placed swagger? Yeah. He mentioned that uh, on Saturday, talking about John Jones, who's the, a sophomore junior college transfer who's off to just an unbelievable start leading the team in, in hitting and pretty much every hitting meaningful hitting category. He's hitting over 400. He has... I think it's five or six home runs. It, it, it's really been an incredible start for John Jones. And, you know, Holbrook mentioned that he, you know, has the, has the Gamecock swagger and uh, that that's something that they had when they were making the runs to Omaha and, and that he he said he's not going to, you know, that he wants it. He, he's not about to apologize for the, you know, the way that they play and the way that they carry themselves. And, you know, it's understandable. That's South Carolina. That's a lot of tradition and um, you know, there's there's a lot of pride in the program, and and it's justified. Um, the way they played this weekend was was very well. Uh, you know, they Arkansas is a good team, and they you know South Carolina went in and just handled their pitching. Um, Arkansas's starters were were not very good all weekend, um, and they were playing from behind all weekend long, and, and that makes it tough when you're on the road in the SEC. You, you can't play from behind all three games and expect to to win a series, uh, especially with the way South Carolina's hitting. So, you know, we were skeptical of them. I don't, I don't know how high, how much skepticism there was left. I mean, they had won a lot of games. It was probably like, it probably gone down from like a 60 to like a 55. <laughs> on 2080 uh, BA grade scale, I would still say I had like 55 high skepticism, but down from 60 extreme. Yeah, but that was a that was the big test, uh, and, and they passed. Now the one thing to say, and I, I I don't want this to make it sound like I'm still being skeptical of Arkansas or of South Carolina, but last year they also started with Correct. a sweep in SEC play, and they did not make the tournament. So, you know the 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 point is that a lot can happen in this 30 game SEC schedule. 
it feels like a really short time for some coaches, and, and, and it is. 30 games is not a lot, but it's also a long time. 10 weekends is a lot. And so a lot can happen here still. And, it, you know, the SEC is a bear this year, and they're going to have to keep it up. And we'll see how they do it this weekend when they go to Ole Miss, which is off to an incredible start of its own. Yeah, the next two weekends um, for South Carolina gets a little tougher. They've played two you know, games on the road this year and one neutral side game. All their games have been in the Palmetto State. Not anymore. This weekend, two Ole Miss for three, and then next weekend at Vanderbilt. So it's not going to get any easier for South Carolina. I mean, it's the SEC, but three of their next four weeks are road conference series with one at Georgia. Um, I mentioned uh, Ole Miss. I mentioned Miss Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt-Mississippi State Series, guys, is the one that's kind of the most vexing weekend series. We'll talk a little bit more SEC. I did want to ask you guys this one. Um, we, we kind of joked about it last week, Teddy, in the office, <laughs> about so Mississippi State goes, and they, they, they beat Oregon, they dominate Oregon, they, they knock around Oregon's arms, and they go and they get lose a 16-12 to midweek game to Eastern Kentucky, and they lose 3-1 to Oral Roberts. So two completely different kind of games. Jimmer, you got eight years of polls behind you. Was Mississippi State the best two and three record you remember seeing in a, in a top twenty-five ranking? I can't remember any like it. I mean, to going two normally, and three and moving up. Yeah, that's that made them so hard to figure out. I mean, when you go, when you have a losing week, you move down. I mean, it's, <laughs> um, I know that's not the you know going you know, breaking it's not news there, science, but uh, exactly. I mean, when you go, yeah, you go two and three, but you win a series on the road against a top five team. I mean, you gotta. I mean. It's like we we always. I mean, weekends do count more. I mean, midweek games count, but weekends count more. Um, I guess the way the teams approach it, how coaches approach it, and that's how we generally approach it with the poll. Um, so that's why we didn't you know, we didn't go like crazy moving them up. But I mean, you reward them for winning on the road against Vandy. I mean, so that's. But yeah, that was. You can't remember too many like that. I mean, I can't. I really can't. To go two and three and uh, just have a total washout in midweek against two. Yeah. You know, just looking at their Warren Nolan RPI numbers, not like RPI matters at this time, but so they have 14 wins and five are for teams 200 plus. That's mm-hmm. uh, you know that's not great, but one and two against the 51 to 100, but three and two against the one to 50. That just seems weird, you know. So they just had this, uh, you know, Mississippi State certainly is going to have to. I mean, I think those two losses are to Florida Atlantic, which is off to a good start in Conference USA. Yeah. So yeah, their losses are good losses yeah. for the most part. Florida Atlantic, UCLA, yeah, there's two and then are, Vanderbilt. Uh, UCLA but then there's and Vanderbilt, this, and then the two fifty-one to hundreds are FAU. Yeah. Yeah, but then you have the Eastern Kentucky and Oral Roberts. When those are, um, you could lose one. It's baseball. It's just very surprising to see them lose back to back. And then the, the schedule for them is kind of the opposite than South Carolina. They went on the road and won a really tough series. They've got Georgia and Ole Miss at home. I mean, there's no easy series in the Southeastern Conference, but you'd rather play them at home than on the road. So Mississippi State, this is like it really has a shot to get off to a very good start in the SEC West, which has four teams sitting there, two and one, with Ole Miss, Texas A&M, the Bulldogs, which of course does not specify anything, Mississippi State and Alabama. How many Bulldogs are in this league? Three? There's Georgia, there's Mississippi State. Is there yeah, one other one? You have three Tigers. Three Tigers, that's what it is. Auburn, LSU, and Mizzou. Stay hot with your little nicknames there. <laughs> um, but only two undefeated teams over that first weekend, Gamecocks and, uh, and Florida Gators, which I think, you know, I mean, every little bit helps. So taking care of 
this kind of sweeps. I think, I think that's going to be a big one for South Carolina. Yeah, and it's tough for Arkansas now down, you know, I, yeah. they're now 0-3 in the league, and, and that's, you know, it's one weekend. It, you know, you can make it up over the next nine, but it is an 0-3 hole. I guess the other news in that league, and then uh, we'll, we'll move on, is, is Alabama going to LSU and winning that series. First time they'd won at Alex Box Stadium, uh, won the series at Alex Box Stadium since 1996. Um, of course, in 97, Alabama and LSU played for the national championship. So those those schools used to really go at it baseball-wise. And then in the last decade or so, LSU's really, the last 15 years, LSU's really put some distance between themselves and the Crimson Tide. And for Alabama, again, a team that hasn't been, they've been to regionals in recent years. They haven't broken. They haven't been to Omaha since 99. Mike, it just strikes me that that was the other important series result this weekend. Did you mentioned Auburn as well. Uh, you know, not that they won the series, but that they played very competitively with A&M. Anything else in the SEC stand out to you? Right. Well, I mean, just touching on Alabama, I, I think the, the impressive thing with them is just their pitching. Um, you know, they lead the SEC in ERA right now. It's, it's really a... Which you wouldn't have expected. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, you, know, you, wouldn't have, have you wouldn't have expected necessarily. And, um, you know, they're right there. They, they could have swept that series in Baton Rouge. You know, they had a, a 2-1 lead, a 4-1 lead late in that game. You know, I believe in the seventh inning, you know, Chandler Taylor hit a home run there that, that gave them a lead. They could have swept it. I think it would have been the first time a, a team has, has swept LSU in Baton Rouge since 2006, which obviously is a long time ago. So it, it was certainly a, a big statement for them. I mean, they were in our top 25 the, the, the weekend prior when, when they lost 2 out of 3 to Houston, which is, you know, a, a team yeah. that's only getting stronger. I'm sure we'll touch on them later. But... Yeah, it, w- it was certainly an eye-opening series for them. It was, I think it was as big a statement as Mississippi State made at, at Vanderbilt. I like that uh, Alabama, it seems, those kind of things seem sustainable when you don't walk anybody. They have the fewest walks allowed. And they've played, they've left home, they've played some decent teams so far. Um, they're tied for lowest walk total in the SEC among pitching. Um, that's a good way to start, and that's a good, uh, that's a good way, that's easier to maintain than if you're doing this with, as we see with Notre Dame, Jim Arar, Notre Dame, they were my Omaha sleeper. Were they yours, Mike? They Mine and yours. Yeah. Harder to sustain success <laughs> when you don't strike anybody out. Uh, I think it's easier to sustain pitching success when you don't walk anybody. It's the Baseball America podcast on the college side with our roundtable. Round and we want to remind you that we're uh, presented by SeatGeek. And uh, SeatGeek wants to ask if you've ever been frustrated trying to buy tickets online. Most sites make it complicated and then try to sneak in huge fees at checkout. checkout. That's why you need SeatGeek, because they've made it easier than ever to buy and sell sports and concert tickets. SeatGeek's the only place I go when I'm looking for NCAA tickets here in the Raleigh uh, area where we had the NCAA tournament. Sweet 16, uh, I, maybe I shouldn't talk to SEC fans here, with only one SEC team remaining in the Sweet 16. For ACC baseball fans and basketball fans, six teams remaining, uh, you need to go hit SeatGeek for those uh, Sweet 16 and Elite Eight uh, college basketball tickets. Because here's how SeatGeek works. They pull all the tickets available on other sites into one place. So you save time, you don't miss any deals, and you can set alerts for upcoming events. And SeatGeek will let you know if and when ticket prices fall. They Every ticket on SeatGeek is given a grade, BA style, based on value. So you can immediately find underpriced seats. Stay away from the red seats. Hit the green seats. Those are where the deals are. And you can use the detailed maps on SeatGeek to view the view from your seat. Best of all, it's always honest and upfront about the price. Unlike StubHub, SeatGeek shows you the full ticket price from start to finish and never surprises you with huge fees at checkout. So Baseball America podcast listeners get a $20 rebate off their first 
SeatGeek purchase to get that $20 rebate. Download the free SeatGeek app if you haven't already done that. What are you waiting for? Go to the t- settings tab and click add a promo code. Enter the promo code BA20 and SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. Download the free SeatGeek app today and enter promo code BA20 and do us a solid and do that for us uh, on the Baseball America podcast. Uh, let's shift to the ACC, all those uh, college basketball teams that they still have to follow. It seems like ACC fans should pay a little more attention to their baseball because seven ACC teams in the top 25. And guys, I mean, I think we have to talk about the biggest mover is North Carolina from not ranking the preseason. Uh, we had some, I think, very uh, justified skepticism over a team that didn't make regionals last year, pretty lifeless at the end of the year. Um, this team just rolled into Durham. Not like it's a long road trip, but <laughs> they go down the down the street to Durham, and the, the Duke is supposed to pitch. And that's one thing Duke had done to this point was pitch. They'd only given up 52 runs in their first 16 games. And North Carolina, with this new-look offense, just wiped the floor with Duke, outscored the Blue Devils 31-6. to Mike, you were there for two of the games. I mean, was this more about what Carolina did, or was it more about what Duke didn't do? It sounds like... As much credit as you want to give to North Carolina, it's not like Duke played about as poorly as it could play. Yeah, it was, it was a little bit of both. I mean, Duke did did struggle with some routine plays, and there there was some sloppiness there, which you, which you don't like to see. So, but I, I think the thing with this North Carolina offense is they're not as potent as they were, say in 2013, when they had guys like Colin Moran and Cody Stubbs and some thump in the middle of that order. You know, it, it's a team that's it's kind of a, a scratch and claw offense. You know, a very disciplined lineup. I think that's one thing you could say about them. They all have yeah. good at bats at the plate, and it starts with Brian Miller, who. I think every time he's up the plate, their leadoff hitter, you know, it's a 3-2 count, and he's fouling off a couple of pitches, and he really sets the tone for that lineup. Adam Pate right behind him is, is a similar kind of hitter from the right side. And really, I mean, the guy they needed to be the guy this year was Tyler Ramirez. And so far, he's been able to step up there in the, in the fourth hole in that lineup. He had a, another big weekend this weekend, homering, tripling. Um, you know, a guy who, you know, he leads the team in walks. You know, right. he's he's had a disciplined approach. He's walked more than he struck out, which is good for him. Strikeouts have been an issue for him in the past. So, it, you know, it's, it's, it's very much a, a pass the baton kind of lineup, you know, balance from one through nine. You know, no one's really going to jump out at you as a, as a powerful, you know, can't-miss kind of prospect other than there's, there's Ramirez. No Seth, there's no Seth Beer in this lineup. Right, right. There's <laughs> to use no, an ACC reference. Right, that, that, right. But it's obviously, it's worked for them. Um, you know, they scored double digits four out of five times this week, and the one time they didn't, they scored eight runs. So, and then you combine that with a, the with a pitching staff that, you know, we didn't have, I don't think we had many concerns with the pitching staff com- right. coming into this year. I think we knew that they were going to be able to pitch well. Uh, all of our concerns basically were on the offensive side, which is how much they've lost since last year, and they weren't a, a potent offensive club last year. But, you know, pitching-wise, you know, Zach Gallon was, was excellent again on Friday. He gave up two runs, and his ERA actually went up. So, you know, he's he's 3-0, 1.45 this year, and he's been excellent. J.P. Bukowskis, even though he walked six guys, you know, he, he pitched he pitched well otherwise against Duke, and, you know, he's got that mid-'90s fastball to get away with a little wildness. And right. Jason Morgan has flown a little bit under the radar, too. He's been a very solid Sunday guy for them as a sophomore. So they've been really excelling in all aspects this year, and, you know, obviously we had our, our questions with them coming into this year, but they've answered them so far. So the, other thing that, the other thing that jumps out to me, and Jim and Teddy, you guys can obviously take this, is that for North Carolina, their schedule is very doable. Uh, Georgia Tech at home next weekend. 
They do have to go to Miami. Um, that's not easy. And they have Virginia Tech. I mean, by the time you get in the real middle of the season, even then, they have at Virginia, but Louisville comes to them. They don't have Florida State. You know, two of their three of their road series in the league play are in the state of North Carolina at Duke, at Wake Forest, at NC State. So they don't have to go to Boston College in the cold. They don't have to go to Notre Dame in any kind of difficult weather. Again, they have Louisville at home. They don't have Florida State. They don't have Clemson. Um, Jimmer really feels like schedule-wise, North Carolina is poised to. I mean, if they're going to be good, which at this yeah. point they're good, they're poised to win that division, aren't they? They're poised to win. It was the coastal, the Atlanta, whatever. They're in the Whichever coastal. It is. <laughs> they're in the coastal. They're poised to win the coastal if they play well, because the schedule advantage. Uh, they do have to go to Miami and Virginia. Yeah, they're two. That's, they're that's two closest the pursuers, but Let they see helps. where those two teams play each other. But yeah, I mean, certainly, you know, I was just kind of going over in my head just as you guys were talking about the. Um, how many national seeds might come out of the ACC? Because we're going to have right these te- you know Florida, Miami, I mean, and Virginia's Florida, at Louisville this week. Virginia, Miami, Carolina, Louisville, even to throw Florida State in all competing. So it's I mean these you know it's like in the SEC these teams are going to cannibalize each other to an extent. Um, what am I looking at here? Yeah, they're going to cannibalize. They will. They so will. Miami, let's see, Miami has to ho- Miami hosts Virginia, right. so they get both of the other two at home. And they do have to go to Florida State, but so I mean, maybe you give Miami the inside track right now because they, they've, and they and they've already and they've already beaten Louisville. Good point. But um, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's and that series, Carolina Miami, is in two weeks, so that's I mean, that's going to be a big one. That's going to be a big one in this division race, big one in the national seed race. But yeah, all these teams are going to be right in the thick of it. If you're North and they're Carolina, all in the top ten of the RPI right now, also, right? So. And if you want, if you're North Carolina, you want to get Miami while you're hot. And they're hot. I tell you, you just put in your uh, off the bat. You put North Carolina in your top eight national seats. Is that one of the reasons why scheduling and how well they're playing? Yeah, I put them in uh, eight for Omaha. Um, I am right. the, uh, I guess I'm the one that, that believed in them preseason. <laughs> like I'm the one that thought I they should not. be preseason mm-hmm. ranked. Uh, so I have, I but I did not think they would be this. Yeah, um, you're know, biased. I, <laughs> I that was our problem. I thought they would be good. I didn't realize that they would be top ten good. Uh, but I mean, they have. I, I think the biggest thing for me is that they're pitching and that they have the pitching to survive the postseason and, and to thrive in the postseason, and that they aren't dependent on one guy in the lineup. You know, right. it, it, if Tyler Ramirez went cold for a weekend, they should be fine. You know, they they have guys to pick him up. And so I think that's a team that's built for postseason success, and, and you know that's why I think they can be an Omaha type team. I was looking at them or, or putting Virginia back in, and you know, Virginia just hasn't swept teams this year. They've yet to sweep a to sweep a weekend, right. and you know North Carolina has dominated teams, and uh, you know it, it's not like their their schedule has been tougher than Virginia's too. And so you know the way they're performing, the way they're pitching, and the way that the entire lineup is going right now, I. I I think that they, they look great, but you know, like like Jimmer said, I, I would still give Miami the, the inside track there if if for no other reason than, than the schedule. But I also think that the Miami's just playing really well right now. Miami's playing really well. Do we have issues, questions, problems about Louisville? I mean again, they were a very clear number two. Um looked like Miami held Corey Ray in check a little bit this weekend. He only had two stolen bases on the week, which is like Five below his, his weekly <laughs> average, it feels like. Um, uh, what's what's the take on on Louisville? Why is Louisville? I mean, like Brendan Mc, uh, Brendan McKay has been Brendan McKay. Cade McClure has been outstanding for them this year. 
Great name. Son of Trey McClure, Troy McClure, I'm sure. Um, but Funkhauser's still a little iffy. Uh, what's what's your t- what's your guys' take on Louisville? Why have they lost two series, aside from the fact that they've had two really tough road series? Yeah, that is... You know that that's that, that's a that's, good answer, right? That's the, that's the thing that's propping them up. But at the same time, like if you're going to be an Omaha team, if you're going to be the number two team in the country or better, which they would obviously aspire to be the number one team in the country, if you're going to be that type of team, you got to win these series at some point. You got to you got to beat Ole Miss or you got to beat Miami, and those are really tough teams. Those are not easy places to play. You know they're going on the road, all the rest of that. But if you're going to be in the conversation to be the best team in the country. You got to win a series at one of those at the one of those two places, and they get another chance with another top ten team. And this time, Virginia comes to Louisville, so this is a really big weekend for Louisville. I think to show that this is all for real. That yes, we are talented, but we also know how to win games. And you know, sometimes you get teams that are really talented like this, and they, you know, you just don't see them put it all together. It's not. Just in college baseball, either right. You, know, you see it throughout baseball, and, and, yeah, in any sport. And Kevin O'Sullivan, you know, talked about talked to me, you know, before the season about how the best team, you know, the the most talented team doesn't win. The best team wins. And right now, the Gators have figured out how to be the best team and the most talented team. The Cardinals are still trying to figure out. It seems like how to f- figure out how to be the best team in addition to being one of the most talented. I think that's probably fair. And, you know, they had a lead Friday, Mike, and Kyle Funkhauser didn't pitch great, but it's really weird to see a crooked number against uh, Zach Birdie and obviously a walk-off grand slam, Willie Abreu. Yeah. Um, and it's like that Miami was able to ride that the rest of the weekend, you know, a little bit of that, uh, a little bit of that momentum. Yeah, I mean, I think a, a common thread to, to both of their series losses to Ole Miss and Miami, besides being on the road against a tough team, is you look at the way Funkhauser has pitched in, in both of those games, and, and he's struggled in both of them. And when you have your Friday guy who's not giving you the innings that you need, who's not keeping you in the game on, on those Friday nights, you know, it's it's tough to come back from that loss, you know. It's 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 a tough thing to do, and I, and I wonder if at some point, you know, I've been hearing a lot from Louisville fans. I have a, you know, some Louisville fans who follow me on Twitter who keep saying, when are they going to make McKay the, the Friday starter? When are they going right. to make that switch? So that, that's something that I'm kind of curious to see whether, you know, Funkhauser gets out of his funk, whether he bounces back or whether they consider making a, a change there, you know, and getting that momentum on Friday. And 19, it, 19 walks and 29 innings. This is just yeah. untenable. Yeah, it's really untenable. It's really like Miami. Yeah, Miami drew a lot of walks all weekend. They drew a lot of walks right. off Brendan McKay on Saturday. Right. They took his first loss. But he is certainly over the last year and a half, while those two guys have both been on campus, Brendan McKay has been greater than... Kyle Funkhauser. You could, you know, given just the way he's pitched in big games, you know, I think you could say McKay's the ace of that staff at this point. He's kind of been the, the stopper and some on teams, Saturday. Some teams like their ace on Saturday, that just only hasn't been Louisville, though, Teddy. I mean, I mean, the other problem with moving McKay, and I haven't talked to Dan McDonald about his exact thoughts on this issue, but anytime you have a two-way player, it becomes more complicated right. about when they pitch and when you want them to pitch. And so that that's just a consideration that they'll have to they'll have to look at if they do consider making the change. I mean, you see teams make the change. LSU flipped Lane and Poche this weekend. Um, you know, so maybe we'll Clemson see Clemson too. Yeah, Clemson uh, pushed uh, pushed Clay, Clay Schmidt up to Friday. I mean, it, it happens, and I don't know if um, if that's the answer in Louisville. I don't really think that is the answer because it, it, I mean. It might help a little bit, but at the end of the day, if you're going to go to Omaha, it's going to be because Kyle Funkhauser is good. 
I agree. He has to be better for them to get to the Cobbled Series. Um, you mentioned Clemson. Um, I mentioned Seth Beer earlier. Right. I mean, besides having the best the name in college <laughs> baseball, um, you know, this guy's got eight home runs already, guys. Uh, and Clemson nine, jumps into... Make it nine now. Is it nine now? Yeah. ACC stats are horrible. Um, <laughs> that's all there is to it. They're obsessed with basketball in the league office. So. Um, this guy... Uh, and not only that, he has a flair for the dramatic... I mean, Willie Abreu gets a walk-off grand slam. This guy says, okay, well, I'll hit two game-winning home runs on the weekend. Um, and BC, they showed last weekend they could pitch. Uh, I know that beer is the biggest factor for Clemson. What else has them ranked? I mean, this, is, this was not a great team last year. Hasn't been great for a couple of years. And, you know, this team would look a lot different with a couple of the, of the recruits who bailed when Jack Leggett was let go as coach. So... Obviously, they got Seth Beer early, but what else has Monty Lee done to make this team stand out this uh, this much this early? Well, having just seen them uh, in the the Reedy River rivalry, that's a tongue twister. Yeah, series <laughs> a couple weekends ago. You know, I I do really like what they do offensively. I do like the lineup they, that they have, and I felt good about what they had returning coming into this year. Uh, you know, I think you look at guys like Weston Wilson, Reed Roman, two juniors who have taken steps forward this year, right. particularly Weston Wilson, Chase Pinder, you know, the brother of Chad Pinder, another ACC player with Virginia Tech for a number of years. You know, he's really uh, settled into that that leadoff role in the lineup. He's hit a surprising five home runs so far. He's he's not a power guy. But I mean, apparently so, so. So far, he's, apparently he is. Yeah, I mean, Monte Lee insists that he's he's not, you know, the second coming of Babe Ruth. But you know, maybe <laughs> maybe there's something to it, you know. And they and they have Chris Oakey there in the middle of the lineup, who, you know, got off to a bit of a slow start, but he's coming around too. So they have some some scary bats there. You know, Seth Beer only fortifies that lineup and makes it stronger. I mean, he's been unreal so far. That's that's the only thing you can really say about him. You know, my concerns with Clemson coming into the year is kind of the opposite of North Carolina, where I thought. Clemson would be good enough to hit. It was more on the pitching side, and I think they've found some stability there with freshman Alex Eubanks has been very good for them on Sunday. You know, he hasn't pitched like a freshman. Um, he's a 33 to 4 strikeout to walk ratio in 27 innings. You know, he knows what he's doing. He's, That's been good. That's been crucial yeah. for them. Because I, I, just, I, I don't feel like they are a team that is replete with depth. Mm-mm. I do feel like Clemson's margin for error is smaller. Yeah. Another team, just because a crucial injury here or a cold streak there would imperil their hopes more than some of these other ACC teams we have ranked ahead of them. Is that a fair way to put it? Yeah, I mean, I, I do think that's fair, and I think it's especially true on, on the pitching side of things as far as depth. But one thing I will say about them is, is I think they've done a great job of managing their bullpen. Okay. Uh, I think Pat Crawl is a lefty for them. He's been excellent. He's pitched 21 innings for them already this year, and they've used him in crucial spots, and he's been able to work work his way out of them. You know, Alex Bostic is a hard-throwing guy that they've you know used as their closer. He's been very good for them. You know, so they've been able to manage that pitching staff. They don't have, you know, Clay Schmidt's not going to throw blow the ball by you, but he's been very good. You know, Charlie Barnes isn't going to blow the ball by you, but they've been able to manage it, get get those innings, get them out of the game after five or six, and, and really shut down a game from there. And Andrew C., their new pitching coach, was at Duke. Um, now there, I mean, that was one of the issues that Jack Leggett was criticized the most for the last couple of years was his pitching coach, Dan Pepicelli, and what was going on there. And, we heard about it from scouts, and their performance wasn't as good on the mound so far, so good for uh, Coach C uh, kind of coming in there and and the way they've pitched to this point. And Clemson, I'll also note, schedule-wise, again, 
it gets a little tougher for them. Uh, they've uh, they went on the road and won a series last week at Wake Forest. They have to go to Miami and to Louisville in two of their next four series. Only one of their next four conference series is at home. That's against Pittsburgh, and they do come to Duke. But uh, I would not want to have at Miami and at Louisville uh, numbers four and six in our rankings, uh, numbers four and eight in our rankings, I should say, as my next couple of series. Um, so it's the Baseball America podcast. Uh, we've d- covered the ACC. We've covered the Southeastern Conference. Um, I-, I always like to look to the West next, guys. Um, sounds like there's some people who are a little bit uh, harshing on us for still having UCLA ranked in the top 15. I feel like UCLA just kind of getting going, guys. I think the, the Pac-12 team we're worried about is, is Cal. Um, but I guess another way to cast that, uh, Teddy and, and Jim, I actually want you to weigh in on this one, but yeah, I guess you, you can measure that Cal had stumbled a little bit, but also that UC, uh, USC, the Trojans, which were preseason ranked, what, 16th? 16th. Um, you know, you fall out of the rankings when you lose to a Dakota. That's going to happen. There are only two, to, I think, do, are there three Division One Dakota's teams? Losing to any of them three. is three, divi- three Dakota's teams. And when you're based in Southern California, you should not lose to a Dakota's team of any stripe. Uh, not in college baseball, not in February. So that, that knocked them back a bit. Um, obviously, the Trojans can't bounce back a little bit. Not bounce back enough into the top 25, but pretty huge series win, I think, for USC well, long it's, term. You know, it's more than just the North Dakota loss at this point. I mean, that, that's what knocked them out initially, but they've had three losing weekends. You know, They lost two to North Dakota, then they... Um, Lot they went one and two in the Dodger Stadium Classic and it was tight. You know they went deep into extra innings with UCLA before losing. And you know if they if they manage to win that game, then it's a, a nice two and one weekend instead of one and two. And then at TCU, yeah. And then they go to TCU and lose two out of three. And you know there's zero shame in that. Uh, TCU is just an incredible force right now. And and Southern Cal did manage to to salvage a game from that. So this weekend, getting Cal at home to start Pac-12 play and I mean, that was big for them. And the way they won the series was big. They, they lose to Dalton Jeffries on Friday night. It was, a, it was a tight game. Cal made some errors defensively. Uh, and, and Jeffries gave up four runs, but only a couple of them were earned. But Cal then or, uh, USC then comes back, drops 18 runs the next day, sets up the, the Sunday rubber match, and, and they pull out a, another close win, which is going to be what USC does most of this year. Is they're they're going to play a bunch of tight games. That's, that's just the way that team is set up. And, but they're an experienced team. It's a very veteran team. They need to, they right. need to be able to win those games. You know, Coach Dan Hubbs has said that. And they, now if, if they're starting to do that, you know, and, and this can be the start of something. Cal is a good team, but USC winning that home series you know, gets them off on the right foot in conference play. Coaches all the time love to say that you know it goes back to 0-0 when you start conference play, and it does. And you know, so USC now has started the right way, and, and they're in good shape now to to be you know that maybe be the the competitive you know top tier Pac-12 team that we thought they would be. And Jim, I'm starting to worry about the Cal Bears. I mean, it's early for looking at RPI, but it's starting to not be so early. Yeah, it's for not five weeks that in, much early anymore. Yeah, and they're ninety; they're number ninety in the in the RPI. I yeah, mean, that's I not mean, that's not helpful. It is a little worrisome that they've this has happened twice now, where they've won on Friday and then lost the series. That Duke, same thing happened when they lost to Duke. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I like that team, but they are just eleven and six, and they haven't played a overwhelming schedule. I mean, they played a decent schedule, but I mean, right. they lost to 
Michigan, they lost you know one game. They lost this series. They lost the Duke series. I mean, it looks good. They're good I mean, they names, sh- Texas. Yeah, that's the big. I mean, USC. they sweep at Texas, who has played a murderous schedule itself. So it's right. I mean, Texas is a better team than its record, but they are eight and twelve, and they're not in the top hundred right now. So that's, that's killing their those kind of things yeah. kill their RPI. The fact that Duke, yeah. so fact that Duke I mean, got annihilated this weekend. Yeah. Now Duke's under five hundred. They play help. Purdue, and Purdue's not good. Yeah. So I mean, those. Yeah, I mean that's gonna add up on them if they don't turn this around. I mean, so they get Oregon State at home this week and next two weekends, Oregon State and UCLA both at home. Woof. So, that's good news, bad news. We'll get find a, out soon enough. Got a chance to show, show if you're legit or not. If you, but, yeah, I mean, they could be staring at a, you know, three and six or two and seven conference record or something like that through nine games. The other thing about that is... And it does lighten up after that. But well, but the thing about that is if, if they don't show it this weekend, the Pac-12 does not look super tough this year. I mean, it's a good conference, but when you have Oregon losing a series to Utah, who hadn't won a conference series since 2013, right? when you have Arizona State being down, when Arizona is iffy, um, you know... The, Wazoo. Yeah, Washington State is going to drag everyone's RPI down. I mean, th- this makes things more difficult if you aren't going to win the marquee series. It, it's not like in the SEC or the ACC where every weekend presents you an opportunity to make a statement. The Pac-12 has fewer of those this year, which maybe is helpful for teams because it, you know, it, it, it's easier. But it, it, it does mean that if you lose the big series, you're going to have it, – it's, it's harder to make up that ground. And this, Jim, this is looking like, like a four-bid league. Yeah, I, mean, I, I know I'm very, I'm ve- I know I'm, it's very early, but you're just looking at they have four teams in the hundreds in the RPI. Yep. Uh, Oregon and Cal are tied for seventh. Those teams better get on the good foot, uh, as James Brown said, because they are not on the good foot right now. And Oregon loses to Utah. They're in a total funk. Yeah, that's going to – I mean, it's like USC with – I mean, I guess Utah will have a better RPI than North Dakota will just because of the league it's in, but that's still going to be a drag. And they've got I mean, to go to Washington and Michigan State the next two weekends, so it's not going to get any easier. Yeah. Um, when they play Cal at home in three weeks, that might be like, you know, one two teams enter, one team leaves as far yeah. as – I know Oregon finished with a flourish last year, and they figured it out. And, uh, they barely. Were, they, yeah, barely, but we also thought that as a three seed yeah. that they were kind of dangerous. Didn't they go to well, – that was Oregon State. That was in that Dallas. That was, yeah. That was in Dallas. Yeah, Oregon – had uh, got in with an RPI in the 60s. Right, is, and they were the sixth team, uh, the sixth place team in the Pac-12. Something like that. Yeah, they swept UCLA in the last weekend. That was what got them in. Basically. They also have to go to Oregon State. They have to go to UCLA. Mm. Good luck with all that. I mean, I just don't <laughs> yeah. think they're getting. I don't think they're getting into regionals. I mean, it's not look. I mean, they have not this way. I know it's only the fifth week, but... What, what, ha- what has happened the last two weeks, the fall that they have gone on against Mississippi State and Utah has been precipitous. And Utah, credit Utah, right. uh, for going into Eugene and beating Oregon at their own game. They outpitched Oregon. Right. Um, and you know, Bill Kinnenberg told me yesterday that coming into this year, he thought Utah could be competitive in the Pac-12, which would be a major step up for the Utes, who, again have n- never won more than seven Pac-12 games. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> wow. Um, you know, so they, they go in and they win a series, and it, it's impressive, but if you're Oregon, you know, that's a series that, that you were looking to get healthy in yeah. while coming back uh, off of the Mississippi State sweep. And now that you haven't done that, 
it gets hard. You know, Washington's a good team. They beat Arizona this weekend. We think that's a regional caliber club. Yeah. You go to Michigan State, that's a regional caliber club. You know, it, Oregon is in a tough spot right now, and they need to figure some things out. Here, here's how tough that spot is. When you have a 626 OPS, no matter what, no matter who you play, they pitch well. You make everybody into freaking, uh, I was going to say 2005 Dontrell Willis, because... I have a retro fantasy team, and Dontrell's dealing for me. It's a it's a good memory to have, but you're making you're basically making everybody into Zach Gallon. You know, uh, it, it's just uh, it's no way to live. I, I don't see how George Horton smiles and has the sense of humor he has. Like he did the quote you have, where he's like, "Well, their Friday guy looks like a Team USA guy." You know. Well, I mean, I was not in Eugene this weekend, but uh, Oregon posted you know uh, Horton's post game media scrum. And he walks up to the scrum, and I at first I wasn't watching the video, I was just listening. And somebody says at the start of it, that felt like Groundhog Day, didn't it? Or is it Groundhog Day? And I thought that was a reporter. So I went back, started the video again. That's George Horton walking into the scrum saying, <laughs> is it Groundhog Day? Uh, so he's keeping his sense of humor, but he is definitely frustrated uh, with, with the way they're swinging the bat and, and just the way they're playing overall right now. I can only imagine. I mean, like we sit here, it matters to us. We all love college baseball. We all care about it. We watch it. We like it. All that kind of stuff. You know, this is his what he's done for all these years. We ran the picture of him in the puka shell necklace from 1975 when he played for Fullerton. This is all this guy's done for 40 years. I just can't imagine running a lineup out there where your four-hole hitters hitting 162, your team's got a 626 ops, and having to fake that confidence. I can't do that, man. I could not do that. More power to George for doing it. Um, and and all these Pac-12 teams, Jim. I'll just say, I mean, like, Oregon and Cal are really—they're not the. Are they the only teams on the bubble? Who are the? I mean, it's early, but I mean, like, it's, it feels like this league—they always feel like they're dissed. They're not yeah, helping I mean, I themselves moved, right I now. I put Arizona in last week because I liked what they had done, um, and they went and lose the series to uh, UW, was it not? Yeah, yeah. it was. So, I mean, you, a team you, that you so took those are out. also teams that. So, we'll see how that shakes out. But those are two teams to watch. Um, Arizona State, you know, we kind of you want to give them that coaching staff credit. They are. I mean, they hadn't really. I mean, they just got swept by the Beavers this weekend. I mean, their schedule to this point was not very. I don't know. It was not really know how their RPI. Yeah, exactly. The Long Beach State and Fullerton. They they lost the good. They lost to the good team. I guess they did beat. They beat Fullerton midweek. They hadn't beaten anybody good on a weekend. So that was their problem. Um, but the committee loves good losses. They do love good the, losses. The RPI loves a good loss, and the committee loves a good loss. They do have those. They've got pretty much. <laughs> that's it. Other than they've lost the one game in Nevada, but other than that, all their losses are good. So that's. Um, but yeah, I mean, they, you fig- I mean, they'll probably end up a bubble team. Um, so those are. So you, so I mean, they'll be in the running for like five or six, but they're probably. I mean, they're not all going to get in. To be honest, I mean. But yeah, just looking at the Sun Devils' schedule here, so they get Utah at home this week. See how that. Uh, See that one turns out. Their road series, their, their road other series than, are manageable. Yeah, other than going to UCLA, there's not that much imposing here. Right. It's Wazoo. Now that they got the Beaver series out of the way. That's right. It's Wazoo and Stanford, um, as well as Arizona. I mean, you UCLA. have the rivalry series on the road. It's tough, but Stanford, by the way, is uh, you know we haven't talked about them. They didn't start Pac-12 play. They they had their finals break a week ago, so they started. Uh, they they just kicked back up and uh, beat Kansas. Uh, but that's a team that, that's intriguing as well, potentially. They are intriguing. Um, 
I, you know, I always have a soft spot for Stanford because Stanford, the first five years I went to Omaha, they were there every year, basically. So I got used to seeing Stunford. That was back when they didn't close the A on the uniform. That's been the big change for Stanford over the years is they closed the A, so they're no longer Stunford. They're actually Stanford. Um, but Tristan Beck has been for reals. I mean, he's really been uh, very good. That's another team that's played a good schedule, the the Vanderbilt series, the Texas series. They're Fullerton. one of two teams that's being Vanderbilt now. Right. So um, it, it, they, they will be interesting to watch as well. Uh, we should wrap up the podcast. Um, other notes from around the country uh, that you guys wanted to pick up or anything else that you guys saw this weekend. We'll just go around the table, Mike, since you've, you've been silent. Um, <laughs> anything else from around the country that really jumped out at you this weekend? I know we moved Long Beach State up to 20. We brought in UC Santa Barbara, so Big West rep and present. Uh, you know, Fullerton does its usual thing. They haven't. They play good teams, and they uh, they lost two or three at home to, to Maryland this weekend. But anything else that stand out to you nationally that uh, we haven't touched on? Yeah, I think uh, for me, the Houston, what they did this weekend. Um, you know, getting Seth Romero back has been has been huge for them. I mean, it was a series against Grand Canyon, who's you know a, a tough team. You know, still making that transition from Division right. Two, not eligible for for the postseason. But you know, they played a doubleheader, and and the, their one-two punch of Andrew Landtrip and Seth Romero throws back-to-back complete games in that doubleheader. I mean, good way to start. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of. You know, when we ranked them as high as we did, I don't remember where we had them preseason. I think 12. It was 12. Yeah, we, we envisioned them, you know, being good because of that one-two punch, and now we're, we're seeing it, you know, come to life. I mean, you look at Andrew Landtrip, his numbers are just unbelievable this year. I mean, 39-1 to strikeout-to-walk ratio. and That'll do. 35 innings, and, you know, Seth Amara has come back. He's 3-0, and uh, I mean, they've been they've been filthy. I mean, those two, and then you know you look at their lineup. Joe Davis has been you know they're, they're freshmen. Uh, he's DH most of this year. I mean, he's he's had the power that you know we expected out of him. Five home runs, ten doubles, hitting four oh eight. You know, Connor Wong has taken a step forward with the bat. A sophomore who moved from shortstop to catcher this year for them. I mean, they've they've got a lot going on in that team, and, and uh, you know I think they could be dangerous. I'm kind of looking forward to seeing them when they come to East Carolina in a couple weekends. And get yeah, a move them up to them move them up to 16, and uh, yeah. the American uh, Conference feels like that's the team to beat in that league. Uh, I think they, we thought they were. I want to ask you, Jim, Jim and Teddy, you guys can take these if you want to. I know that you have other points, but Missouri State and BYU, these other two other teams we we talked about ranking this week, Missouri State. You know, I know we talked about it in the meeting last night. Well, they went to Super Regional last year. Um, obviously, they lost Harrison Hall. You know, kind of what we were talking about with the other team. This is why we have confidence in them. That was a big reason we had so much confidence in Missouri State. Um, otherwise, they do return a decent amount from last year's team, but um, they've gotten off of this great start. But this is a fairly weak schedule, pretty weak sauce schedule. Uh, uh, and they play Minnesota coming up. Uh, their league play doesn't start till April uh, for them in the uh, Missouri Valley, Valley Conference. Yeah. Um, Jim, or how many, like you're, you're doing it from the Schoenerology yeah. point. I mean, how does Missouri State shape up? How does Schoenerology regard the Bears? I mean, I've got them in right now, but if they don't, I mean, if, if you assume the Missouri Valley is going to come down to them in DBU, which probably is a safe assumption. Um, then they should be okay as long as they put up a decent record. I mean, they, I mean, they are dominating, so they're they're winning games, and they've won a lot of road games. Or well, 
they're what are they nine and eight and one on the road something like that yeah yeah so that's good um but yeah the, the, it's, it's all gonna, I mean this non conference schedule is not going to do anything for them all seventeen of their wins on uh, warrennolan.com coming against be, teams one hundred one worse in the yeah they haven't beaten anybody with a winning record I don't they're think. one to fifteen one have won beat ORU that's like their best their, win their Warren Nolan strength of schedule is two forty four yeah. and that's Wolf. up that's up after playing Iowa. Who is not 11, one of the better Big Ten teams? Which does is not, not look like. Yeah, but I say 2015 Iowa is not walking through that yeah, door. No. So that was 2016 Iowa. So they're going to be they're going to be interesting. I mean, it's going to be a. That's my. It's point. all going to come down to. I mean, it's all going to come down to conference play, obviously. But it's like if they, I don't know how many conference games they actually play here. At least that's a 24, 24 team. Isn't it? That's a 24 team so schedule they, or game schedule. If they were to go like 18 and 6, say, that would, you know, that's probably about what they need to shoot for. Maybe a little more than that. And but, just, you look at the Valley. But you can't lose a series like a Ed, Evansville or SIU or teams like that. And you look at the Valley. State. You look at the Valley, there are already. There are not many chances of quality wins. They're not. There are five teams in the Valley, uh, basically a 150 RPI and worse. But basically, if, like, if either them or DBU sweeps the other. Whoever loses is going to be probably in trouble. Yeah, I will say for Missouri State, they did not necessarily intend for the schedule to be quite this bad. Right. Iowa was good last year. Yep. Minnesota is a, it's you know, it's Minnesota, a, it's a traditional Big Ten good team. They went to Memphis. You know that's that's not that's not bad at all. And obviously, and regionally, that's a good series. Those yeah. two teams should play each other. Yeah. Uh, they should be able to draw some fans there. Those are competitive programs. It just didn't work out. Yeah, they went to uh, a tournament that Austin P hosted that had UConn and Austin P in it, and unfortunately for them, these are not those teams' best year. Though they, and they lost to UConn, right? And they lost to UConn. Anthony K is uh, is tough to beat on a Friday night. Right. That's a tough draw for them. But those are those are solid teams, but not great teams. It, it, that's it. Just looks like a non conference schedule that could have been pretty decent is going to turn out to not be that way. That's one where you need a committee member. To explain just what you did when you're in that room in May. I have the committee on the brain because of basketball. So I'm not going to apologize for it. But I have the committee on the brain. That's You need someone in the committee saying just what you just said. Hey, you know, I was a regional team last year. This and that and the other. This is why that non-conference schedule was bad. But it, it, it shouldn't have been as bad as the numbers say it was. And then BYU guys, I mean, the West Coast Conference struggles for its own hashtag respect. They want their, uh, I don't know how to do a West Coast uh, accent, so I went, I went other one. But uh, they're always talking about how they don't get... You just have to throw gnarly in there. Or yeah, exactly, exactly. I should just do my Norb impression, uh, impersonate our boss. Uh, so BYU had won a, a billion games in a row, roughly, until losing to Pacific in the, the Sunday game. Um, they start conference play next weekend. Should we expect BYU to – are they the top team in the West Coast Conference now? Are you, you know, you, I liked BYU coming into the season in that league. Um, and did they already – Pacific's West yeah, Coast Yeah, Pacific's West Coast. That's yeah, why I always think of them as Big West. Yeah. That was a league series. Yeah. Um, and no one swept in the first weekend of West Coast Conference play. Uh, you got to love the WCC. BYU looks really tough. We had San Diego as the preseason favorites. They're a little shaky. They lost to St. Mary's uh, this weekend yeah. for the first time in a really long time. And St. Mary's is uh, that's a that's a very good team too. But you know the West Coast Conference looks like it'll be competitive. Uh, BYU has a really good offense, and it'll be interesting to see see how that fares against some of the good pitching that these uh, West Coast Conference teams have. Uh, St. Mary's for one, you know. 
uh, with Corbin Burns there on, on Friday night. And, you know, I know San Diego can pitch, and uh, it, it tends to be more of a pitching-based league, and, and BYU is kind of built more to, uh, to be offensive. So it'll be, it'll be an interesting juxtaposition to, to see that offense against the pitching that the WCC has. I'll tell you, I'm just looking at uh, one of the things I saw was uh, they do run differential on Warren Nolan, and BYU's run differential is 5.8. That is that is loud. That's going to win you a lot of games, no matter who you're playing. I mean, I know that you can pad it to a certain extent. Um, but, again, St. Louis was a regional team last Sam, year. They and, went to Samford. Yeah, they went to Samford. They went to Kansas. Um, you know, these are re- representative games. Look, Kansas is off to a poor start uh, so far this year. So it feels like, I don't know if, I don't know if you can say it's for real, um, but it does feel like it's potentially for real for uh, Coach Littlewood. They've been searching for the right coach at BYU for several years. Um, their, their run differential is the same one as North Carolina's. North Carolina's is also 5.3. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be a good project for Schoenerdology, Jimmers, who's got that best run margin. I mean, obviously a lot of that you can game with your schedule, but um, that level of dominance I think is uh, I, I, something I would like to look at. For I, I just noticed... Duke had uh, outscored opponents by ten runs coming into the weekend against North coming into North Carolina. Obviously, they're a little bit in the minus category there uh, now. But uh, anybody else before I uh, wrap this uh, this puppy up? I will say uh, Little Rock uh, beating Louisiana Lafayette in Lafayette uh, was was a nice win for uh, for the Trojans there. Uh, the Lafayette dropped out. Yeah, um, Lafayette won the first game of that series, which was a doubleheader on Saturday because of some rain, um, and they they really beat Little Rock soundly, and then Little Rock responds and, and wins the next two and, and wins a series, and the Sun Belt all of a sudden looks a little more wide open with uh, with Lafayette being maybe shaky here at the start of the season, and uh, Texas State and South Alabama both off to 6-0 and conference starts. Flying starts. South Alabama is definitely one of those kind of under-the-radar programs where Mark Calvey's gotten things going there. And those two teams uh, play this weekend, so that'll, uh, that'll be a, that's an under-the-radar series to watch. Ooh, I would say Texas State just did just play Appalachian. Appalachian four and sixteen. The post Chris Pollard era for uh, Billy Jones. It's been a little bit of a struggle there as he uh, gets his feet under him um, in Boone. Uh, good stuff this week, guys. Jimmer, you have one more? Uh, I'll I'll go to the wheelhouse and give a shout out to the Terps. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> winning a series. Wouldn't be a Fuller. podcast without yeah, it. Yeah, there you go. Winning a series. I mean, they two years in a row they beat a ser- uh, beat Fullerton in a series. Um, that's a and they do it despite losing uh, on Friday with uh, Mike yeah, Schwann, who was just uh, just okay. But it was a uh, Brian Schaefer throws a complete game shutout, and they win one nothing yesterday. Uh, Going to be a very interesting resume for the Terps. It really is. They're they've under only 500. Had, on best nine and ten. You could, I mean, they've only had one losing weekend, and that was at Alabama. But they're they're winless in their midweek. Yeah, they and UCLA. We talked about yeah. how UCLA's record doesn't look good. It's because those two teams aren't winning midweeks. Yeah, and Maryland is zero and four. They're both weeks. winless in midweeks, and those are important for your RPI when it comes to ho- for Maryland when it comes to getting in, and for UCLA when it comes to hosting or potentially national. So they got to figure that out. But so yeah, both those teams need to get that figured out if they can. They'll be in a much better shape. They've than they been, are right now. I mean, Terps are getting it done on the weekends. So, and Big Ten play starts this weekend, correct? It does, yes. I think not. Not for all the teams. All no, the there's an odd number. Yeah, it's kind so, of strange. Yeah. Yeah. Weird. But. Come on, Barry Alvarez. Come on, Wisconsin. Give it the program here. Yeah. 
on that note, I'm sure Sea Geek would want us to remind you that they don't like Barry Alvarez either. No, Sea <laughs> um, Geek just wants you to remember they sponsor the Baseball America podcast and download that uh, promo code B820 when you download the insert that promo code when you download the Sea Geek app. Thanks to these guys, Teddy, Mike, and Jimmer. I'm John. We'll see you on the next BA podcast. So long, everybody.